morning. I am um, kind of excited for this morning for a couple of reasons. One, first of all, it's, it's good to be here. And um, my wife's actually here with me today. So yeah. yeah. And um, so I don't have to rush out of here and go to Ankeny when we're done because Ben's taking care of Ankeny. So full disclosure, I was telling Maddie the other night, sometimes when I leave here and like the clock's ticking, you got to be at Ankeny to preach. Um, don't judge me, okay? But if I'm driving a little faster than I should, it occurs to me sometimes in those moments that, hey, if you get pulled over, probably this is not going to fly with the officer. Well, it's okay, officer. See, I'm going to preach. That's, that's probably not going to fly. So uh, but not, that's off the table today. So uh, it's good to be here. Uh, I want to start with a, uh, <clears throat> a little story uh, about a couple guys who you probably have heard of, though you may not know their names. Jack Phillips and Joseph Kennedy, and by Joseph Kennedy, I don't mean JFK's father. Uh, Jack, Kennedy, or Jack Phillips and Joseph Kennedy uh, are modern-day guys. They're, they're alive right now, but they both have something in common that has been in the news uh, to a pretty high degree and pretty high level in the last several years. Uh, and what they have in common is this. Jack Kennedy, uh, or uh, yeah, Jack, Jack Phillips, rather, owns a bakery in Colorado, and a number of years ago, he was approached by a gay couple and asked to bake a cake for their wedding. And he said he wouldn't do that because it violated his religious beliefs. Joseph Kennedy was a uh, high school football coach in Bremerton, Washington, up in Washington State. And he had a, a routine that he'd do after the game, win or lose, didn't matter. Uh, he would just uh, spontaneously he'd just go out and kneel at the 50-yard line and pray. And over the course of time, people began joining him, and then people filed suit. And both those cases, uh, uh, the baker and the football coach, both of those cases ended up in the United States Supreme Court and uh, were ruled in their, their favor. And uh, actually, I was just looking up Jack Phillips because I didn't know whatever became of him. He's, in, uh, he's got a suit going right now because somebody came to him and said, hey, I'm, having, uh, I'm transitioning genders, and I'd like you to bake a cake. Now, the obvious question, we know the answer, the obvious question is, of all the bakers in the state of Colorado, why would you go to that one? Well, it's obvious what the answer is, but that's beside the point for right now. So here's what those two guys have in common. They have uh, all those, you know, the, their cases went to the Supreme Court, but I bet you they would affirm what believers all through the ages have said what, uh, what uh, missionaries have said, pastors of underground churches have said, maybe what some of your experience would validate, and that is this, that there are times when the Christian life can be a battle. Can't it? Can't it just be a struggle? Can't it be like a war? Um, and I don't uh, uh, say that, use that word war because that's man speak, because that's the way I see it as a man. I don't say that as a baby boomer. Uh, I say that because that's the language that the Bible uses. The series that we're on, Live No Lies, uh, has this. As a matter of fact, I was just looking at the, this is the study guide. I was looking at this the other day when I was uh, preparing this message, and I thought, wow, it's right there on the cover. The author even says it. The subtitle of the series is Recognize and Resist the Three Enemies that Sabotage Your Peace. And you pick words out of that. Resist, enemies, sabotage, peace. That doesn't sound like a peaceful uh, transaction. It sounds like this is going to be a war, like there's going to be some opposition. But it doesn't matter what the author says. He happens to get it right, I think. It uh, doesn't matter uh, what the author says. It's what God says. And God says this, 
he says that uh, in his word, he says, Second Peter, or First Peter rather says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, which wage war against your mind and your will and your emotions, what you think with, what you feel with, what you choose with, your mind, your will, and emotions. There are sinful desires that wage war. This Christian life is a war. Now, that's part of the, the, that, that is the truth, but that's only part of the picture. The full part of the picture is God's Word also paints uh, a lot of other pictures of realities of the Christian life. I shared uh, here maybe a month or so ago, five, six weeks ago, I don't know, um, about intimacy. And if you follow all the way through Scripture, you see a theme of intimacy. The Hebrew word I used, shared with you is pene, pene al pene face-to-face. God desires with each of us a face-to-face intimate relationship, the kind of intimacy that a husband and a wife share. And so that's also a truth. But along with that, this Christian life can be a war. There's just, uh, you know, no way around that. And I look at the the language that, that God's Word uses. He tells us to put on the full armor of God. He tells us that no weapon formed against us can prosper tells us that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world and so on and so forth. You know those scriptures. And so the imagery is very clear that we're going to have to be purposeful about living the Christian life. It's not a casual endeavor. When I was a, well, I wasn't even a Christian yet. I was just about thinking maybe it was time to surrender to Jesus. And a guy told me, um, man, you just need to leave your feet. You need to launch yourself after Jesus. And just, just go for it. And I ran into a Bible verse. Jesus says this. He says, From the days of John the Baptist to the present, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. And I thought, man, that is the Christian life. I don't mean violent. I mean purposeful. Uh, very purposeful. Very, very active all the time. Not, not a casual endeavor. And so there are these external things that Jack Phillips and John or Joseph Kennedy can tell you about. They're external things always hitting on us from outside our Christian life. I mean, pick up the news, or if you mention Jesus at work or take a Bible to work, you'll find out that there are things always hitting us from the outside. But there are also things that are hitting us from the inside that want to derail our Christian walk, that wage war against us. And that's really the big thing that we're going to talk about today. And so let me ask you this. Have you ever had a thought or an attitude or a response to certain people or a response to certain, certain situations? You ever had a motive for doing things or not doing things? And you just knew that, you know, inherently you just kind of knew this isn't quite right. I'm going to go with it anyway, but it's just, it's, maybe it's not quite right. Maybe it's a little out of balance. It wouldn't go away. And you knew it was wrong. Maybe if you knew it was inaccurate, maybe even saw a counselor for it, maybe you've uh, you know, had prayer for it or whatever it might be, you just can't shake it, and it feels like a ball and chain. It feels like there's this thing chained to you all the time that you're always dragging around with you. Everywhere I go, I'm dragging this thing. And I do my best to try to hide that from you. I do my best to try to deny that it's there, but the fact is, everywhere I go, I've got this emotional ball and chain uh, with me, or you just had this em- this uh, kind of nagging thing that just hangs on. Again, maybe it's an attitude, maybe it's a, a belief, 
Maybe it's something from your family of origin that just is passed on down through the ages. And it feels to you like a fly. I was chasing a fly around last night and getting pretty perturbed. I won, by the way. Uh, but this, this emotionally, you ever have something just kind of buzzing around and you're always kind of swatting it and trying to get rid of it and you don't win? It's just, it's always there, just, just reminding you of its presence, this, this thought, this attitude, this behavior, this motive for things that you do or you don't do. And these thoughts and these behaviors almost seem like they just will themselves upon you, man. It just feels like they're just pressing, oppressive all the time, always on you, and you just can't shake it. And maybe you've gotten to the degree where, you know what, I'll just live with it. I will compartmentalize it the best I can. I'll just, just go with it. This is what life has handed me. I was there many years ago. This is just who and what I am. I'm whatever, and I'll just live with it. But you don't have to just live with it. You get to be free. It's for freedom's sake that Christ set us free. Well, what if those thoughts in your mind aren't just thoughts, aren't just random thoughts that come to you? Maybe, maybe it's possible that what if they have some sort of dark power, some sort of dark energy. They come from another source that's outside you and I. What if that's the answer to those things? That's what we're going to talk today. The focus today is the truth about lies. And that's one of the chapters in this book. If you're reading this book, if you're following along, the, the, I think the second chapter is called The Truth About Lies. And that's what we'll talk about today. Because uh, as mentioned in the video just a minute ago, Many of the lie, lies or the paradigms that we believe are distorted. Maybe we picked them up when we were a child and we didn't have the mental uh, uh, development yet to process things accurately. We processed it inaccurately and nobody corrected it, so I just go with it and now I'm an adult and I've got this kind of twisted view of something. But they become patterns, they become rules that we live by. And here's how lies act in your life. If you believe lies, here's how they act. They act in two kind of opposite ways. One is as a launch pad. Lies can become a launch pad uh, by which uh, I okay the behavior that I display or my attitudes. The other way, the kind of the opposite way that, that lies work is they become breaks that restrict my action. And so in other words, I don't have any business doing this or doing that because I'm these lies. I've become these lies. So lies can become a launch pad, they can become breaks. But either way, they become a stronghold, and that's your first fill-in. I actually have fill-ins this week. Can you believe that? Every, I know that every week for a long, forever, Maddie sends me when I'm going to preach, hey, do you have any fill-ins? And she knows the answer, no. And I noticed the last several times I preached, she hadn't even asked me anymore. Well, I guess I showed her, didn't I? I've got one this week. So that's your first fill-in, okay? So a stronghold. These lies, whether they become breaks or whether they become a launch pad, can become a stronghold. And here's a stronghold. is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable things that we know are contrary to the will of God. That's a mouthful. I'll say that again. A, a stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable things that we know are contrary to the will of God. That's what a stronghold is. That's what a stronghold becomes uh, in our, our lives. Now, 
If you were uh, anywhere near a college campus, maybe in the 60s or the 70s or maybe even the 80s, you've probably seen one of these, right? The Four Spiritual Laws, right? This is my wife's copy. This is an authentic copy from the 70s, right? Yeah. Here's what the Four Spiritual Laws says. The very first thing it says is this. I really don't need to turn to it because I know what it says. But God loves you and, has, and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Spiritual law number one. God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. And that's true. I believe that's true. I hope you believe that's true too. Here's the uh, uh, equal but opposite to that. Satan hates you. He also has a plan for your life. And it's not a wonderful plan. As much as God loves you, Satan has no time for you. And he had, but he also has a plan for your life. His name actually indicates his plan. We've mentioned this before several weeks ago. Diablos in Greek is the accuser. You know, somebody who's always hurling out accusations or guilt or, or something like that. He's a slanderer. And Jesus says that um, in John 10, 10, Jesus tells us what the enemy's uh, mission statement is, and that's to kill and to steal and destroy. That's what he's all about. That's what the enemy uh, is all about. In fact, John chapter 8 says this. Let me read one section for you. This is John 8, starting at verse uh, 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. So there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's our adversary. That's who we're, are, we are at war with, this adversary. Murder, Jesus says he's a murderer, that the enemy's a murderer. You know, the legal definition of murder includes these words, malice aforethought. And I don't know that because, uh, I only know that because my daughter-in-law is an attorney and I heard her say it, so, you know. Uh, I, I hope she knows what she's talking about. But, but malice of forethought, that means this, it means two things. It means that the killer had the intent to kill and they took the time to think about that and then go through with it. Malice of forethought, I had the intent to kill and I took the time uh, and, and created a plan, uh, took some time to reflect upon it. And Jesus says that the thief, the enemy, comes to kill and to steal and destroy. So Satan is bent on your destruction. And I would add here that I don't see in Scripture anywhere where Satan is wanting just to make life uncomfortable for me by not giving, by blocking that parking spot, you know, right by the door. The enemy came to kill and to steal and destroy. He wants to wipe you and I out. He wants to pull you as far away from Jesus as he can possibly get. He wants to distort things. He wants to distort your image of you. He wants to distort your image of Jesus. He wants to distort your image of him, of the adversary. He's not that bad. He's out to kill and to steal and destroy, and he's bent on destruction. His end goal is death, and his mean to accomplish death is this. His primary means to accomplish that is lies. If he can get you and I to start to believe a lie, just like he did in the garden, then he might have us. John 8 says this, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Now here's, the, uh, here's what happens often. When we blame Satan for silly things, like he blocked my parking spot, um, 
then we start to minimize what he's all about. I was with somebody the other day, an old friend that I see probably three times a year. We've been friends for 30-plus years. And we were talking about a certain relationship in his life and how it's, it's kind of going sideways a little bit. Uh, and I said, um, I said to him, you know, um, we have an adversary who wants to stir that up. And he didn't, he, I didn't even get done with the sentence. And he said, yeah, and he's a believer. And he said, yeah, yeah I'm not one of those who blames Satan for everything. I said, well, amen, I'm with you. Uh, but we have an adversary, and he went to Bible college, so he knows this. But we have an adversary who wants to stir things up, like I didn't even say it. Just minimize uh, what the enemy's about, this fact that we have an adversary. When we uh, minimize him, it makes it easier to write him off. You think about uh, movies and podcasts and just culture, and somebody was telling me uh, we were at a family gathering recently, and... Um, because I have celiac uh, and can't eat gluten, um, somebody in our family was saying how, hey, yeah, they just heard about this new um, bakery downtown in Des Moines that, that serves all these gluten-free things. Well, I had actually just read about that bakery, and uh, these other folks, other family members aren't believers, so I just left it alone. On the way home, I told them, yeah, I read about that bakery. They also, um, along with their um, gluten-free goods, they have uh, tarot cards and tarot readings and palm readings and all this stuff. And um, the couple who own it are a same-sex couple probably don't want to go into that place, okay? You know? But I say all that to say this, that that becomes so normalized. And we begin to just, uh, just uh, subliminally, very, very slowly accept all these things that are lies. They're all lies. And to the point that sometimes when you mention the devil, you mention Satan, you mention the accuser, it's almost like he becomes a caricature, like he's not real, like he's just a, uh, an icon for all the bad in the world. He's not a real person bent on destruction. He is a real person. He's really bent on your destruction. And so uh, we don't want him to be a character or a representation instead of what the Bible calls him. Here's, here's a smattering of what the Bible calls him. calls him the tempter. Jesus calls him the God of this world, a fraud, because he masquerades as an angel of light. Uh, uh, one seeking to devour, seeking whom he may devour. He's an accuser of the brethren, Revelation says. We, and so on and on. There, there's so many more. But we said that the end goal is to spread death, but he usually does that covertly. That's why he prowls about like a roaring lion. I think if he jumped out at you and I, if you know Jesus and you've walked with him any length of time, if he jumped out at you and I and just said, hey, I'm the devil, come and serve me, you'd go, no way, get lost. But if he can get you and I to start to bite on a lie, much as he did in the garden, and believe something that's not true or that's a partial truth, then he can begin to lure us in. Okay, And so he uses lies with an element of apparent truth, not the truth, but apparent truth, and that resonates and appeals to a disordered desire, and then it becomes a hook inside of us. It becomes a hook that, that has us. And that those hooks sound like this. See if any of these resonate with you. Here's what some of those sound like. Look, life would be easier and better if you just divorced that person. You should have never married them in the first place. What were you thinking? 
so-and-so is holding you back. I know they're good people, but they're, they're really, they're holding you back. You're not getting what you deserve. You're being left out on purpose. You're being left out of something. Other people are getting ahead of you. You better get, get with it because other people are getting ahead of you. Here's a, here's a great one. You are going to be just like your parents or your grandparents. So those are some of the lies, some of the things that he, he wants us to bite on. And those things become like fish hooks or they become like pacifiers that look like the real thing. They seem like the real thing. They offer immediate relief. And these lies scream at us, scream at us, take me now. You can be satisfied right now. This thing that you're dealing with, you can be done with that this very minute if you just grab onto to this lie and go with it. And those things scream at us all the time. They resonate with us. And they div divert us from truth. And the truth is real freedom, real peace, real joy. Here's some words that we often think of when we think of spiritual warfare, okay? You've probably heard these. Um, we think about spiritual warfare, think about exorcisms. Think about paranormal, poltergeists. Think about uh, natural disasters and disease and, you know, things like that. You know what's really interesting? If you read John chapter 8, which is uh, John, uh, Jesus' most comprehensive teaching on the enemy, read John chapter 8, Jesus doesn't mention a single one of those things. And he's talking about our battle with the enemy. doesn't mention any of those things. I'd never seen that until I started uh, digging into this. And I went, that is really fascinating. You know what Jesus does mention? He does mention lies. He does mention lies. Here's the key this morning. This is a fill-in for you, and this is the key. If you fall asleep from this point on, fall asleep after this sentence, okay? Jesus sees the primary war against Satan as a fight to believe lies over truth. Jesus sees the primary war with Satan as a fight to believe lies over truth. Dr. Gary Brashears says this. He says, the world is Satan's domain where his authority and values reign, though his deception makes that hard to realize. If you are of the world, if you're not a believer, you don't have a biblical mindset, you're not in God's word, uh, in fellowship, and prayer, uh, if you are of the world, this all seems right. If you're the world, it all seems normal and right. And yeah, maybe it's weird, you know. Well, this video that, that uh, I showed at the top here referenced some uh, paradigms. Those paradigms are also called mental maps, and we all have them. We all have paradigms for all kinds of things. We have paradigms for uh, relationships, for sexuality, for um, finances, for uh, hassles, for child rearing, for you name it, for work, for leisure, for God, for the devil. We have paradigms for everything, whether you realize it or not. You, you've got them. They're there. And that's what the, the video kind of referenced. But here's the deal. If those paradigms that you have, those mental maps that you and I have, correspond to with truth, with something verifiable, then things go pretty well. Things go pretty smooth for us. But if the paradigms that I have, the lies that I believe, don't correspond with truth, now we got trouble. Now I feel funky all the time, and I always feel uh, undone. 
or I don't have satisfaction, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, maybe I'm despondent because the things that I believe firmly don't line up with truth. So we have these maps for everything, and when we believe lies and we open ourselves to them, so there's two things there. When we believe lies and you open yourself up to them, that's where we live with odds with reality, and that's where we struggle, okay? So how do we get free from that? Well, I need to first think about what truth is. What is truth? I just said truth is that that lines up with uh, verifiable reality. So it doesn't line up with reality as I see it or as you see it. It's got to be something verifiable, okay? And the reality is that um, on a street level, here's a, here's a good street level definition of reality, what you and I run into when we're wrong. I like that. What you run into when you're wrong. So I have a firm belief that if I jump off the top of this building, uh, I won't get hurt. Probably wouldn't die, but I have a belief I won't even get hurt. And you know what would happen if I did that. I would get hurt. That's why we use the phrase cold, hard dose of reality, right? Because I'm going to find truth real fast uh, at the end of that, that fall. And so uh, that is what truth is. Okay, dose of reality. We said the devil's means to accomplish death is lies. And so I'm going to do something a little different here, okay? This might make you uncomfortable. You don't have to participate if you don't want to. If you don't want to participate in this, then I invite you to um, close your eyes and pretend like you're praying, okay? For 60 seconds, I'm going to ask you, I left space on the worship guide there. I left space for you to think about the lies that you may believe, that you may have. There's some that might jump to mind right now, and there's some you and I don't have a clue about yet, or maybe we suspect. So I'm going to give you 60 seconds to write that down, uh, some of those down. We're not going to share them with anybody, so don't worry about that. Just, those, are, those are yours, so uh, go. Think in terms of rules in your life. Think in terms of boundaries. Think in terms of the roles that you serve in relationships, jobs. Think of... Uh, curses or vows that you've made. Think in terms of your motives for doing things or not doing certain things. All right, was that really uncomfortable and awkward? Yeah, Dean, Dean says yes. Okay. Yeah. Just to highlight the uncomfortable and awkward, I'll call you out, right? No. Yeah. All right. So how do you battle demonic lies? How do you, do, how do you battle these lies 
that you and I believe in different areas of, our, areas of our life. You battle them with truth. You go to war at them with truth. Romans 12, 21 says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If you don't like the song playing on the radio, you change the station. And I'm going to give you a real-life example of how I've done that in the past uh, at the end of this message. Pretty radical, uh, but I'll give you an example of how you change the station, okay? In other words, uh, when I say we overcome uh, evil with good, in other words, we identify the lies and we replace them with truth, and that is exactly what happens um, in a freedom session in Wellsprings. So this is not an advertisement for Wellsprings, but that is exactly what happens. Identify the lies and replace them with truth. That's it. That's it. All right? And you have to be specific when you do that. You can't just say, um, hey, um, Jesus, here are some lies I believe, and I give them to you, and I take the truth of your word and I put it, you know. That's a good start, but you have to be very specific. Again, I'll give you an example at the end. So how do we receive truth? We present ourselves to him. That's how you receive truth. You present yourselves to him. That's what Romans 12 tells us. We present ourselves to him in the disciplines, uh, Bible reading, prayer, meditation, solitude, Sabbath, worship. I say solitude, I don't mean introspection. Introspection is uh, looking inward, become a belly button inspector. It's all about me. I mean solitude, looking outward, okay? But that's how we present ourselves to him. Service over and over and over again. And all that accomplishes, here's what it accomplishes. It accomplishes realignment. If I hit the curb with my car, I'm in an accident, and the front end's out of I take it to the shop, and I get it in line. If my back's bothering me for some reason, I go to a doctor or massage therapist or wherever, and I get it lined up. If my soul's out of alignment, I go to the Lord, and I get it in line. I get myself in line with him, with truth. Okay. So think about trauma that you may have experienced. Think about loss that may, maybe is in your past, some misunderstanding with somebody that's never been resolved, some anger, some thing passed on down through, through the, the family. You don't have to compartmentalize that and walk with a limp the rest of your life because you know and you know that there are lies in there. Those can be taken care of. You can be realigned. So here's the truth about lies. They really only have power if you believe them. Lies only have power if I choose to believe them. So here's a question for you. Whose mental maps do you navigate life by? Whose paradigms do you navigate life by? Now, when you're, uh, you know, uh, a little kid at home, you navigate life by primarily your parents or your, your primary caregivers' mental maps or paradigms. That's appropriate. But if you're, you know, 45 years old and you're still navigating life uh, as a three-year-old, you can see that that's going to be an issue. There's going to be some problems. You're going to misinterpret things and act inappropriately and, and nobody can count on you and, you know. And so whose mental maps do you navigate life by? Whose mental maps do you listen to? Do you put faith in? 
at salvation, here's the truth, and I mentioned this a lot. I've mentioned this a lot lately at different places, but it comes up and it's so, it applies across the board. You got the nation of Israel, 430 years of slavery. And after 430 years as a people, you begin to believe something about who you are, what your value is, who other people are, and what, how, why they hate you. And you begin to believe something about God, who he is, and who he, we, he's not. And you begin to believe a lot of things. They get pretty firmly entrenched in 430 years. And then you, you fast forward through the scripture to Numbers chapter 13. And we're about to step into the land of promise, the land that flows with milk and honey. Complete freedom, complete peace, complete provision. The land God has chosen for us. And 10 of the 12 spies come back and say, uh-uh. And if you've read that, what they say is um, the giants that are in the land, they told us that we look like grasshoppers, and we agreed with them. We, we think we do too. Where'd they get that idea? They got that idea from 430 years in, of slavery. And so the whole point is these mental maps are incongru incongruent with a life of freedom. And the instant you and I surrender to Jesus and say that I give myself to you, your life is my life. In you, I live and I move and I have my being. And we surrender to his kingdom. A lot of our mental maps are out of date automatically. And this is why, how it is that we can be Christians who desperately love Jesus and practice the disciplines. We read God's word and we meditate and we, we serve and we help others and we give uh, and we worship. We practice Sabbath but I still have this hook in me that wants to always pull me back, always pull me back into this, this slavery because I've got a mental map, I've got a paradigm that is from that life and it's incongruent with this one and it's got to go. And in the case of Israel, it took 40 years of wandering to get that worked out. But it doesn't have to take 40 years. Okay? And so... Uh, here's a great example from Stephen Covey. He uses in his book, Seven Habits, he talks about uh, driving through Chicago with a map of Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, and I cannot find what the heck, where I am, let alone where I'm supposed to be. I know I'm going to be late, and I can blame the car. I can blame myself. I can blame the street signs that are all screwed up and the markings on the street. None of those are the problem. The problem is I got the wrong map. If I had the right map, I'd be right. Because I don't have the right map, I can't navigate the streets of Chicago. And as a believer, I can't navigate the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of peace, the kingdom of righteousness, with an old map from before I was a Christian where I believed that everyone was out to get me and I'm less than and people don't like me and I always say the wrong thing and, and uh, women are this and money is, is for, you know, all about me and, you know, wrong maps. But there's good news. There's good news here. God gives us free will and we get to choose our maps. You and I get to choose. There's a guy by the name of Viktor Frankl who wrote a book many, many years ago called Man's Search for Meaning. And I'll give you the very, 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 very short story. Viktor Frankl was an uh, Austrian uh, psychiatrist back in the 1930s, 1940s. He was uh, captured by the Nazis, put into a prison camp, 
uh, several different prison camps, uh, and he noticed that all of his fellow Jews, almost all of them were despondent. They'd given up on life. But he said, there were a few of us, there were just a few of us, not very many, who had some sort of hope in the midst of all that darkness, all that despair. We had something to live for, and the something was out there. When we get out of here, when we're released, in his case, I'm going to continue my practice. I'm going to continue re teaching. I'm going to continue writing. And when he was in a certain instance where a, a Nazi uh, guard was about to pull the trigger with a gun against his head, he said, I realized at that moment, Point. And he writes this in his book. He said, between stimulus and response is the ability to choose. Even if it's an instant, I have the ability to choose. They've taken everything from me. They've taken my family, all of our possessions. They've taken uh, any sense of pride uh, or sense of well-being we had. But the one thing that they cannot take from me is my ability to choose. And I'm choosing, he said, right in that instant, I'm choosing that I'm going to be free and I'm going to get out of this place. I'm going to continue my, my writing and my career to, to help people. So God has given us the ability to choose. We get to choose our mental maps. Now, here's what that typically sounds like, and I don't say this to put this down, uh, to bash this. I say this to offer some correction, okay? I've heard people, I've probably been one of these people, honestly. Um, I don't know, but I've heard people pray for mind renewal. God, please renew my mind. I'm asking you to renew my mind. And they quote scripture, and that, yeah, okay. But here's, here's the twist on that. Here's where I think we need some correction on that. When we pray that, I think we're asking God to do something that he gave us to do. Okay? Here's what I mean. Deuteronomy 30. I think these are fill-ins. I set before you life and death. Choose life. You choose life. Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. If the Lord is king, serve him. Romans, be transformed. You, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Offer yourselves a living and holy sacrifice. Put off the old, Paul says in Ephesians. Put off the old, put on the new. Be purposeful, be diligent about that. Philippians 4 says, whatever is true and noble and right and pure and so on and so forth, Paul tells us, think about those things. And Colossians says, set your minds on things above where Christ is. See, it's purposeful. You and I get to choose. God gave us a mental computer. We get to choose what goes into it. And so if I pray, God, please change my, my mind, I don't know. I don't think that's going to work because I get to choose, okay? Where's what Covey said? Um, oh, so yeah, let me finish one thing. Mind renewal has to be chosen. You and I have to choose that. Believing truth, replacing truth in our mind over the lies has to be chosen and it has to be done with malice aforethought. The same kind of motivation that somebody who commits murder. I have the time to think about it and I have the intent to carry it out. And I'm going to identify lies and I'm going to replace them with God's truth. And then I'm going to walk in freedom. Covey said this at the, the top of the video. He said, if you want to make minor changes in your life, work on your behavior. But if you want to make significant quantum breakthroughs, work on your paradigms or your lies. If you want to make incremental changes in your life, work on your behavior. But if you want to make quantum breakthroughs, work on the lies you believe, the paradigms. In other words, examine your beliefs for lies and replace them with the truth. 
I said earlier that uh, we need to be specific, that builders work from a blueprint. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Outliers. If any of you have read that, I don't know, five, six years ago, he wrote this book called Outliers. He identifies all these super high-level achievers. Um, Tiger Woods was one of them in golf, of course, and, and scientists and, and physicians and mathematicians and artists and, and all kinds of people were at the, the very highest level of their, uh, their chosen field of endeavor. And he studied these people, and what he noticed was this. They all had one thing in common, and he said it wasn't that they were all super talented or had natural ability. Some did more so than others, but that wasn't the predominant thing that stuck out to them. The thing that really resonated with him was across the board was something that Gladwell called the 10,000-hour rule. The 10,000-hour rule. And he said what they all had in common is that they had a mind to practice. In Tiger Woods' case, he practiced and practiced. That's all he ever did, probably to a fault. But that's all he ever did. In the case of artists and musicians and, and, and deep thinkers, um, uh, intellectuals, they practiced over and over and over again. He says in his book that he, he calculates, uh, having read Tiger Woods' biography, he calculates that by probably age 15, age 15, Tiger Woods had well over 10,000 hours of practice in golf. And that reminds me of a, uh, a quote, and I don't know who said this, but uh, uh, an old quote uh, that repetition is the mother of mastery and skill. Repetition is the mother of mastery and skill. And so we've got to practice. So I told you here's a specific way to replace lies with uh, lies with truth. I'll tell you what I did many years ago. Um, but I have to preface this, preface this by saying I was, I mentioned the three-year-old who thought, thinks like a three-year-old, which is appropriate for them. I was not three, I was probably 12, but I was um, late 30s. And I realized that, and I was just starting Teen Challenge Ministry to make it even worse. And it occurred to me that I've got so many things that are wrong up here. And uh, somebody, a friend, uh, a friend who, who was a Catholic priest, he told me, you need to write a script for your life. Okay. So I wrote a script for my life. And it was long, pages. I, I found it the other day on my computer. It's so old. I don't even remember the password. I can't unlock it, and I don't want to bother hacking into it, so it doesn't matter anyway. But, um, but I wrote a script for my life with biblical truth in it, not just great ideas, but things that were supported by biblical truth, and I'd read that all the time. And then my friend said, uh, you know, that's great. That's a good start, but you can only read that at certain times. What about all the time you're driving across Nebraska, Right? All that windshield time you have is just idle time. What if you record that? So I recorded it. This was so long ago. I recorded it on a, a Walkman because digital didn't exist yet. And I would listen to this thing, right? My wife will tell you, I walk around with this Walkman on all the time while we're walking, while I'm working in the office alone, while I'm driving, while we're uh, at, in bed, I would listen to this real low at night. David said, I meditate on your word day and night. I thought, I'm going to meditate on the truth at night. I'm going to put it on to reprogram this mental computer for the land of promise, for the kingdom. 
with malice aforethought, I'm going to do this. And that's what I did for many, many, many years. And I did it in my voice on purpose because somebody gave me a tape of Joyce Meyer. It's a good tape. Wish I still had it. Uh, Joyce Meyer reading these biblical affirmations, all scripture, just reading these affirmations. But I noticed something. If there's a thought that she gives me that bangs up against one of my, my uh, unhealthy beliefs, I can reject that. Well, that's good for Joyce, but it's not for me. But when my voice hears me telling me, now I I got trouble. Now I can't reject that one because I'm telling me the truth. And so with malice of forethought, we do that. Your brain listens to you because repetition is the mother of mastery and skill. So your desires that are healthy, that are productive, that are godly, are often sabotaged by lies. You might have the greatest of intentions, but lies get in the way. And so the solution is not willpower. Because willpower, the strongest willed among us, will get so far. You might get real far, but you still can only get so far with willpower. It's not white-knuckling it. It's surrendering to Jesus and putting the truth in, replacing the lies with truth. It's not self-improvement. And I'll finish with this. Uh, this book, this Live No Lies book says this says you replace the devil's lies with God's truth. You cut new neural pathways that eventually take root in the neurobiology of your, your body itself. You become what you give your mind to. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. As a man thinks in his heart, meditates upon, ponders upon, over and over and over again, he will be. And so again, I'm not talking about self-improvement or having a better life or you know winning friends and influencing enemy i'm talking about radical transformation overcoming lies with truth so that we're free to express jesus to other people and they're free to do the same so it's a war it's a it's it's a battle but it's also the kingdom of god is also love it's also peace it's also intimacy Along the way, it's a battle, but it's a battle that's already been won. Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome the world. 